Welcome to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, where our gang of sci-fi fans will boldly go where few fans have gone before. Okay, not really, but we'll have fun discussing and interacting with our favorite shows and films from all over the sci-fi universe. We love Trek the most, but our love for Trek means we have a great appreciation for sci-fi in general. Join our panel of sci-fi fans from all over North America and beyond as we share our opinions and thoughts on this deep and incredibly diverse genre of storytelling. Our mission here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast is to entertain and have fun, so you'll hear all types of views in a light and fun atmosphere. If you love sci-fi, this is the perfect space station for you to dock at. We invite you to come aboard and stay a while. You've got friends right here on the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. And welcome to the inaugural episode of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. My name is Brian Donahue, and I am excited to talk about science fiction with some other really cool and neat people who are also big-time sci-fi fans. We come from around um, the North America part of the world, and uh, we're going to introduce everybody individually and let you know who we are. But first, I just want to make a brief statement here at the beginning of this podcast so you understand who we are and why we want to do this type of podcast. We are big sci-fi fans. Um, we love science fiction as a genre. We love films and shows and books and all that kind of stuff uh, around science fiction. Um, but really, we want to talk about science fiction. We want to have fun. We are sharing our opinions. We are here to entertain. Hopefully, you as the listener, we're going to be entertained because, hey, we love this stuff and we like talking about it with each other. Um, but we're here to entertain and have fun. We want this to be a light, uh, fun atmosphere. We want you to feel like you're sitting in a living room with us with your favorite beverage, um, hanging out, talking about all things science fiction. We do love Star Trek. We will say that. Star Trek is kind of our big thing. But because of Star Trek, we love science fiction as a whole. Um, at least for me, that is true. Star Trek opened the door to this wonderful genre called sci-fi. Um, and so we're excited to do that. Um, we're just going to have fun and talk about stuff. With that being said, I want to introduce you to, um, let's call ourselves the crew of the big sci-fi podcast it's kind of cheesy but i'm feeling really nerdy right now um so uh we are the crew of the big sci-fi podcast my name is brian donahue like i said i'm a pastor a church planner in northeast ohio come from canton which many people might know of has the uh pro football hall of fame in it is kind of our claim to fame and other things as well the hoover vacuum company originated here um i don't know if that's interesting to anybody but uh i'm a father a husband i've got two kids peyton seven brody five pleasure to be here pleasure to have you guys um, with me i'm going to start introducing us around um, the zoom channel here adina let's start with you tell us a little bit about yourself sure thing hi everybody my name is adina mignona and i am a science fiction author and engineer working in aerospace my love of science fiction goes back to maybe 1980 or so when i was five or six it's my earliest memories of both star trek and star wars and i like to tell people that my core fandom is star trek uh yeah i i like to say i, I majored in star trek i minored in star wars and have certificates <laughs> in Battlestar galactica firefly and pretty much any any other fandom that you can you can think of 
but so yeah, I've, uh, it's one of my core hobbies. It's one of my core motivations for my writing. It's one of my core motivations for my career in aerospace. It's, it's science fiction is, is everything. Um, I'm also though, yes, I am married <laughs> and have a couple of kids who I'm trying to uh, indoctrinate into science fiction, especially Star Trek as well. Uh, they're 11 and three. So the 11 year old's coming along okay. Three year old, I've got some time to, to work on him. Uh, and that's, uh, that's about, that's about it. Cool. Cool. And Mr. Steve Merkin. Hey, my name is Steve Merkin. I am, uh, the old guy of the group and I've been, <laughs> but the <laughs> youngest uh, at heart. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, I have just retired from working this past year and, uh, have been in the jewelry industry for 43 years, um, supplying precious metals to the manufacturers. So that's what I did for a living. Um, married, been married for 40 years to the same lovely woman who is, um, how shall I say, she's practically perfect in every way. She is my Mary Poppins. We have two daughters, an older one, Steph, who uh, is married and has a my grandson, who's three and a half, who I just absolutely adore. And he is, because of his father, a massive Star Wars fan. I'm not yet introduced him to Star Trek yet. I don't want to confuse him. I don't want to rush him. He's enjoying that. He can also name every one of the Cars characters. So he has a vivid imagination, but he's, you know, he, he's, it's fun watching him absorb that stuff. I have a younger daughter, Jennifer, and uh, she's unmarried, but she has a wonderful guy as her boyfriend. So I'm very, I'm very lucky and blessed. They're very happy. Um, for me, Star Wars is good, but I grew up watching Star Trek from the very first episode. I was there in front of the TV on September the 8th, 1966, waiting for that series to begin. And mm -hmm have been a fan of it ever since watching all the series, the movies and so on. But for me, science fiction began at a very early age. And that was back with a black and white TV and watching Saturday morning movies. And in particular, the Commando Cody series, mm. which included a very young Leonard Nimoy playing a uh, Martian, as I recall. But when I started watching science fiction, then it just became alive. It was exciting. And, and as I got older, I joined the science fiction book club and started reading Asimov and, and Clark and others. And I have just, it, it's the beauty of science fiction is that it's very broad and it gives us a chance to, to make believe and right, to right. Uh, be excited by that. And so um, I have always enjoyed it. Um, for hobbies, I love to build model kits. And uh, I right now I'm volunteering at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, um, helping out there and, and enjoying, um, enjoying my life, enjoying my life at this point. Right on, right on. That's, that's awesome. I appreciate your volunteer work there at the hospital. You've mentioned that a few times in passing. 
my friend, and that's that's really good work. We appreciate that. And uh, also, it's exciting to have somebody that saw Star Trek originally mm-hmm. as a part of that. So that's going to be some cool insight and um, fun things I'm sure you'll bring to this podcast. Really looking forward to that. And Christian Fox, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. And yes, my name is uh, Christian Fox. Uh, professionally, I do mediation. So I like to think I'm channeling Captain Picard when I do it. Uh, maybe not quite as successful, but <laughs> that's always been my inspiration uh, for the field of conflict resolution and mediation. I got into Star Trek, I think when I was five years old. My mom had it on in the background. And I remember, I think, seeing War for the first time and crying and then just immediately falling in love with the show. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Star Trek. That's always my favorite thing it's my first love in terms of uh fictional tv shows Uh, i do a podcast and i have a youtube channel both called yelling about star trek awesome so so you cried when you saw Worf. yeah i think it was the the forehead was like oh what's what's going on with his head oh so you it was a little bit of fear it was like as a little kid Oh, yeah. It wasn't like okay. I was emotionally moved by his performance as a, as a okay. five-year-old. It was okay. because I was terrified of the head. And then somehow I just got into it. Okay. It's okay. interesting because the opposite forehead effect I had, uh, Michael Dorn was the first person I ever saw at a Star Trek convention. And he was the first person I ever saw who I've been used to seeing with that kind of a makeup and then not. And I was 14 or 15 at the time. So it was like I said, my mm. first experience seeing behind the scenes and what that that wow. really meant. Yeah, I remember that too. I didn't for cry, the first time. but I was looking. <laughs> <didn't> yes. cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he is someone who looks totally different outside of makeup. In my and opinion, sounds different. Yeah. His voice, oh yeah, his natural yeah. voice is also not that deep. <laughs> yep. But it got deeper though. Apparently, I heard hmm. that he said because he was speaking his war with a really deep voice. His real really? voice got slightly deeper, I think, or something <laughs> like that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, we are the Big Sci-Fi Podcast crew, and uh, it is a pleasure to be with you guys uh, today. And we hope to have many more episodes of this podcast where we're just sitting around talking about science fiction. And today, so that, so that our uh, listeners can get to know us, guys, we're going to go ahead and kind of get a get-to-know-you-on-a-deeper-level-when-it-comes-to-sci-fi segment here. And we'll talk around why we've chosen certain things, but we're going to talk about our favorite Trek series, our favorite Trek film, um, and then our favorite non-Trek sci-fi series and our favorite non-Trek sci-fi film. So I have a feeling this is going to be highly entertaining and interesting to see which of our favorite Trek shows and films come to the forefront and debate that and talk around that a little bit, but also to see um, what really gets us going Um, in our imaginations going outside of the Trek universe. So the first question, and we'll just, we'll just go in the order. We'll start with the Dina and, and, uh, work our way around and I'll kind of go last each time. Um, but, uh, Adina, what is your favorite Trek series and why? And then fellas, we can, we can interact with her and challenge her a little bit if we need to and vice versa too so (laughs) this is probably the easiest of the questions to answer Mm. Uh, next generation is is by far my favorite trek series and i think it was more because of the time of life that i was in when it came out i was uh 12 13 
ish when it started. And that's a very impressionable time in a person's life, those teenage years. And I think a year in is when I really became a Trekkie. You know, so the first first season, I watched every single episode uh, as it as it aired, although at the time it was just a cool show. And I mean, I was aware of the original Star Trek and I knew all the Star Trek and I knew all the movies that had come out um, Mm. before then. In fact, I recall seeing the voyage home in the theater. Um, oh, wow. I think maybe six months or so before next generation started or six That's months cool. to a year in that time, time frame. So, you know, I was a fan, but it was after the first season um, that something magical happened and I became a Trekkie. And then that's really what, even though I had always been kind of a space geek and a science geek, uh, it's really what propelled me into really thinking seriously about what I want to do with my life and that I wanted to be yeah. in the space industry. So yeah, next generation all the way by by far. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. Is there is there a particular episode you remember, Adina, that that maybe puts you like, yeah, I'm a Trekkie? Is it just the second season in general, no, or it was, was actually there an the... episode that made you go, oh yeah, yeah, this is my show? No, it actually happened in between the seasons. Over the summer, oh. I was on vacation with my family. We were in California, and went to Universal Studios. And they had, at the time, this thing called the Star Trek Adventure, which they picked a few people out of the audience to reenact kind of and explain to the audience how these things get filmed out of order and how special effects are added and and everything. And so um, I waited two or three rounds to get chosen. And I let my my family went off, enjoyed the rest of the park. I didn't do the gosh darn other thing. But then I got chosen and I, I choked to death in engineering. Now that was that was oh, my role. I, oh. I, I came out and I choked it awesome. up in engineering. And afterwards, so we're at the gift shop and they had a, a, a technical manual of the original. It was not of Next Generation. It was of the original Star Trek. It was a technical manual of the Enterprise and just hmm. the series. And my, my dad bought it for me. And also somewhere around that time, I also bought one of the novels. And for the re- next two weeks, because uh, we were on vacation for a, a long time that summer. And I just was plowing through novels as fast as I could make my parents stop off at the next bookstore. And, and that did it. I mean, once I, I, that was it. Then I had to go back. I had to see every single episode, make sure I saw it. I had, <laughs> I don't know. It was something about that that just solidified. Yeah, yeah. I am a track. <laughs> That's a great story. That yeah, is really a great cool. story. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned something new. I had no idea there was like a Star Trek adventure at Universal. Back uh, in the I day. will find you i will send you I, I blogged about it and i think i had a oh, little really? snippet of the videos on my blog oh, so if you got awesome. if somehow if you can include links i'll include the link for you to you know okay. so everyone can actually okay. see this yes and, that, and would that be was in cool. orlando florida no no this was in uh in los angeles in los, los angeles, angeles. Mm-hmm. very cool yeah huh. and i live here and i never did that Steve, why don't, why don't, what is your, what is your, unless anybody has anything to say about next, I mean, next generation, great choice. I got to say, it's kind of my generation too. Um, But Steve, how about you? Well, as before mentioned, you know, watching Star Trek from the very first series and having watched the other series and progressed all the way through, you know, I mean, I grew up loving the series. I watched it in syndication afterwards and, you know, just gobbled it up and, you know, and watched the movies that came out when the motion picture and Rathacon and all that. Then got into watching uh, Next Generation and just, you know, said it was so different than the original series and so on. 
And then in 2001, out came Enterprise. And I just fell in love with that series. Hmm. And the reason why is because, again, growing up in the 1960s and watching the Mercury, the Gemini, the Apollo missions, and then into the space shuttle in the 1970s, this was the show that seemed like it could actually happen, as if there would be a progression, as they did in the opening sequence of the show, from where we are now to what we could be then. And the show, the, the effort that they put into it, the realism was just so well done. The acting was so well done. It, 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 there was conflict. There was um, disagreements. There was the occasional swear word, whatever, you know? <laughs> um, there, was, there was sexuality and there was relationships and mm-hmm. there was conflict. And, and then what they also did, and I give the showrunners so much credit, is that they went back to prior series mm-hmm. and explored those in the series, such as why do the Klingons foreheads go from no (laughs) bumps in the original series to Star Trek, the next generation foreheads. And they did a good job of that. They had fun with the augments in the fourth season. Um, It it, it just, the outfits, the, 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 it was, it just, just really, when I, the show came out, I just fell in love with it. But what it also did, because by the time that that show came out, I was pretty burnt out on Star Trek. Mm. I mean, just, and then this came out and it was just so unique and different and so new that it made me fall in love with Star Trek all over again in every part of it. And I'm happy to say that, um, you know, here we are discussing it and very happy to to say that um, I am truly a proud Trekker once again. (laughs) And having gone to the conventions, has been a lot of fun as well in in Las Vegas. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's that's a great story too, Steve. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. That and and uh, I mean, what what can you? I mean, Scott Bakula, fantastic choice. I, I loved him. Uh, un, yeah. un, unfortunately, that show did not get seven seasons like mm-hmm. like you know Next Gen DS Nine or Voyager, but. Um, which I I wish that one would have gone farther. I think they could have done a lot, spread some of the story out a little bit too. And um, but I I I think everything you said, I I cannot argue with why your sentiment is on Enterprise. Yeah. Um. But yeah. And and some of the the books that have followed, mm. the good that men do, and so on, are what the glimpse of what seasons five, six, and oh, seven okay. might have been. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, Mr. Fox, how about how about you? And so, you guys jump in anytime too. If yeah. you if you wanna debate or say, wait a minute, hold up. Uh, <laughs> it's all good yeah, for we don't argue. <laughs> yeah, I just want to first say I appreciate that you, Stephen likes um Enterprise yeah, just because yeah. I didn't like it when it came out. I think it was maybe the summer of twenty thirteen that I finally really started liking that series Mm. and now i think now here in 2022 i feel like okay enterprise is now starting to get the credit that it deserves because i think it did Mm -hmm. a lot of really great things um so i'm very you know happy to hear okay it is a favorite in our team 
Mm-hmm. But for me personally, my favorite, it, it's all, it's also next gen. That was like the first Star Trek series that I got into. Mm-hmm. That was the first one that I ever saw as a kid. Um, and not to get too personal, but my parents were going through a pretty bad divorce. And so there was something comforting about watching TNG and being like, okay, mm-hmm. no matter how bad things get in 45 minutes, they're going to say, like, they're going to solve the problem. Like everybody can devolve and the ship can get destroyed, but in 45 minutes, they'll find a cure <laughs> and everybody right. will go back right. to the way things were and it's happy. So I like the happy-go-lucky nature. I don't think it's the best. I think BS9 for me is the strongest series because of mm. the continuing stories. But but um, TNG really is like, when I think of Star Trek, that's my default track. And that's always what I go back to. Cool. Adina, I think you were going to say something. I do want to comment on, on Enterprise too, because I didn't watch it fully in its original run either. And I, I did finally watch the entire i binged it all at the in the early part of the pandemic two years i guess now mm-hmm. almost two years ago yeah, and wild. yeah i definitely appreciated it much more but i i kind of went back to like why didn't i continue watching this in its original run and i think it had more to do with just like where my life was at at the time like mm-hmm. i i had quit my job and started a new business and just i think it had more to do with just my lifestyle at that time than it had to do with the show itself you know um but yeah, because when I rewatched it, it was pretty amazing. Especially seasons three and four were, were pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. very, very season pleased. three. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you watch it today, you watch it on Netflix or whatever streaming mm-hmm. service you have, you can skip certain episodes. But by watching them one after the other, it really does feel like a continuing story. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I think when it came out, uh, which would have been what two thousand and four, two thousand and five. It was a pretty exhausting season to watch week to week because it was twenty four episodes. But mm-hmm. if you watch it now, you can skip some of the bad ones and it just feels very cohesive. And you can see, oh, wow, so character de- development that happens in episode one of season three continues all the way to season four, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable. That, that's very interesting because I've kind of had this thought that, you know, shows that are episodic from, you know, pre-binge days, ones that were made before you could binge it like right, we do now, right. aren't mm-hmm. actually meant to be binged. And so, because some shows that I've watched that I've binged, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is too much to do all in like, I can't watch three or four or five episodes all in one day. I shouldn't be doing this. And it was never meant to be like, <laughs> never. Yeah. and I've had that thought because I was, I've been binging Deep Space Nine. Um, and while I like it, I feel like there, there's some stuff that's just tough to, it, it just, it needs to be, needs a, a space in between for it so you can digest sure. and think. <laughs> So yeah. I think I think you're right. I think DS9 for me, even season four, I think it, you're right. It's maybe more separated. I think when you get to season six, like that opening arc, I think that's really binge worthy. I think the end of season seven is pretty binge worthy for the most part. But I can see, yeah, maybe it's not entirely, it's not meant to be binged. But watching season three of Enterprise, it's like, okay, you start the first episode and you're like, all right, they're trying to find the weapon. Next week, it's like they're still trying to find the weapon. Third week, okay, now they maybe know where the weapon is. Oh, it turns out it's not there. So when you're watching it week to week, it can be exhausting. Whereas I feel like which when you and, oh, and which, I don't if I can jump yeah. in, yeah, in here sure, real quick. go right ahead, and, and Brian is that because we have to remember when Enterprise came out right after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. So yeah. them searching for this weapon, not finding it, not finding it. <laughs> what does that remind you of? 
Oh yeah. yeah. Weapons yeah. of yeah. mass destruction that, right. that we ended up not really finding. So I think that's, that is one of the beautiful things. And if you hear Scott Bakula, which I've listened to a few of his interviews on it is that's something like it really, he was super glad they were first that he was glad they didn't come after next gen or after D space nine or Voyager, like in the timeline of the star Trek universe he was super happy to be first in that timeline so that they can have a little more freedom and maybe break some of the rules that, you know, Star Trek fans care so mm-hmm. deeply about. Yeah, they don't or... exist yet. It's right. Yeah. 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 But he was also proud of how they really did. They were a sci-fi show, a Star Trek show that really mirrored some of the stuff that was actually happening. And, you know, and the exactly sentiments right. and, and even his uncare, you know, a lot of people were shocked that, Captain Archer would take such a harsh view of getting these guy, bad guys who attacked Earth and do some things that were not really um, Starfleet-esque, but really it was a reflection of what was happening in our country. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just, just interesting. I'd also yeah. say, too, the thing I loved about it is he actually, not that he gets into any trouble for it, but he pays for it in the sense that he never fully recovers from those decisions and you can see that he's suffering from ptsd whereas i feel like janeway she almost tortured a guy and jacote was like hey you can't do that and they're like okay well let's go make some caesar salad i'll bring the croutons (laughs) and that was the end of that trauma and it's like that never was revisited but i felt like they were able to explore what what happens when a well-meaning good person crosses the line how do you pay for that Again, well, even they, Cisco mm. never really paid for it in terms of, again, not being in trouble, but just the uh, the PTSD, the fact that Archer, even when, or when he was talking to, what's her name? Captain Hernandez, I think. Yeah, Captain Hernandez. That was the episode yeah. home. Yeah, which was so brilliant to see that, okay, the trauma that he experienced is carrying over. And yeah, I can't well, say enough about that. But they, they did deal with that in that when he comes home, he thinks, oh, I'm going to be the hero automatically. But he's still tortured by what the events that occurred, as did any soldier coming home from war, doesn't yeah. want to talk about the events. And then being being questioned as to why didn't you assist those the that uh, uh, ship of the Vulcans and you let them all die, you know, all of a sudden now he's having to answer for his actions. And he yeah. realizes, I, what did I do? Yeah. You know? And he want me, and that's when he says, I want to get back to what we were, explorers, mm-hmm. not right, exactly. soldiers. And so that's, that's well, and that's because of um, Manny Cotto and his style of writing and his style of storytelling really stood out in, like I said, the latter parts of episode season three and into four. Yeah. So, Brian has to tell us which yes. is his favorite series. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, my sentimental favorite is Next Gen. But if I had to pick one, if I could, if I was stuck on an island <laughs> <laughs> and could only pick one show from Star Trek, I would go dark. I would go D Space Nine. Cool. Um, and and the reason being, um, I grew up with Next Gen. My comfort place is next gen. If I want to feel good, if I've had a rough day, and I have the time, first of all, as a dad and what I do, to watch Star Trek, 
Um, it's next gen I'm going to put on because I just it's just happy feelings, good memories of watching that mm -hmm. originally, especially with my dad on Saturday night. So, but Deep Space Nine I just feel is the richest, deepest, um, the, the the way they explored characters and developed characters in that series. While I just I think was definitely. Um, done in a way that was much more complex than the next generation did. Although I think the next generation did better than it gets credit for, for character development. Um, I would argue that. And <laughs> well, let's another episode, another episode. Yeah, for we'll, sure. we'll argue that. Um, but, uh, I love, I love the fact that Deep Space Nine was kind of out on the edge of the frontier. Um, I love that it had an kind of this, for Star Trek, uh, this new talking about spiritual things for really the first time in a prolonged way through the series with the Bajorans mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, I loved the Jem'Hadar. I just feel like they were the coolest um, bad guys ever. I wish they would have done more with them and their culture, though, um, instead of wrapping them around the Dominion and being their army slaves, basically. Um, but I just, I just, I love Cisco. I love the fact that we have an African-American father, single father, um, who's working hard to be a good dad and a good Starfleet officer and a good person. Um, I love how they really broke down a lot. I mean, they, you talk about dealing with issues of racism and bigotry, Deep Space Nine did it better than anybody. And it wasn't that it was always beautiful at the end of the episode. Um, but they really, um, I think went there in a way that, um, you know, certainly the original Star Trek series, uh, got the ball rolling and had some pretty powerful episodes that, imp that were certainly dynamic for their time as well for what was on television at the time. Um, I think next gen had some great episodes in that regard as well, but I just feel like D space nine really, and it doesn't get, it's just now, it's kind of like enterprise. It's, there are people. Yeah discovering Deep Space Nine for the first time going, mm -hmm. oh, and unfortunately they went right, they went right into having a continual storyline, uh, I think by the f fourth season, fourth or fifth season. And yeah, so, I think so some mm -hmm. people were like, well, that was new to television at the time. It was really groundbreaking. Well, it's, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there are a few shows operating like that where you had to watch week to week to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh yeah i just i think it's great I, I i think it is it is the greatest star trek series in my opinion so yeah i think it's the best like even if you look at the fact that you look at all the guest stars and a lot of the reoccurring characters the fact that they all get developed i mean yeah. I, I always talk about damar the fact that he was just mm. an extra it was just meant there to like just to be a first officer character and then he becomes fundamental to the war effort and you see the change yeah. and it's it comes back for me. That's the one frustrating thing about other Trek is you look at DS9, you look at Nog, who is a reoccurring character, and he gets more development than a lot of the main characters in other Star Trek series get. So I think it's <laughs> like, yeah. it's just so brilliant. Yeah. And the other great thing, too, is talking about Captain Sisko being African American, the same thing with Janeway being the first female captain is nobody ever mentions it. Nobody cares. Nobody comments on it. And it's like, and it really does a good job of showing the world where it's just like, okay, well, we like Cisco because he's a captain and he's a good leader. 
we don't care about his race. It's not an issue except for that uh, one episode where he has the visions from the prophets of being in the fifties. And I think, I think Avery Brooks talks about it too, is, is that really when you talk about shows in that era that had positive um, depictions of African-American men and fathers in particular, D space nine never really gets listed with shows like fresh Prince of Bel-Air Cosby show um, and there were several others too um, that had positive um, uh, portrayed African American men in a very positive light, um, you know, without a lot of the stere- just really cliche, horrible stereotypes um, of the time. And so um, Avery Brooks, I've heard him say several times in different interviews, like they really that was something that's something he's most proud of of the series too is is that he tried he was a good father you know he had it rough um but he and his son stuck together they worked hard they worked through stuff um and they genuinely loved each other so i just i just i love that about this series too i have a good relationship with my dad um but I just, I, I think that was, I love that they made him a father. That they, 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 mm-hmm. he wasn't just a Starfleet officer like Kirk or Picard without family. Um, that was the first time they did that, right? Yeah. That I, and they I committed to it. They didn't just ship off the kid and say, okay, mm-hmm. go live with your grandparents. Because yeah. again, it's one of those things where you look like at- Like Worf did. Is that what you you're look, talking about? I'm talking about Worf. Like I, I love, I always ring him up, but it's like when you look at how much Cisco loves Jake and how much time they spent together, it's like, well, how did, what did they do with Worf? How did they make Worf become the worst father ever? <laughs> well, I but you know, episode. but I like that. I actually yeah. like that Worf is not a good father because it really shows that mm. crud parenting is hard, and especially when it's dumped on you very unexpectedly. You know, so he kind of got off to a rough start and a very unexpected rough start and it never got better for him and i i kind of like that as a character development aspect to show okay yep everything doesn't work out all perfectly you know sometimes the stuff is a a constant struggle i just wish someone would have called it and say hey warf you need to think about that because i feel like warf (laughs) and everybody on tng they're always portrayed as being like perfect officers perfect Mm -hmm. in every way and very rarely do Mm -hmm. they ever get called out for is that true? No, but is no, because he, I, there were several at, episodes where he's, he worked, I mean, like there is a whole episode, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but where Deanna's mother comes uh, to visit and they, oh, you yeah. know, so you see that he's working on his relationship with Alexander, with, uh, you know, Deanna okay, Troy. Yeah, so like, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I don't have to, no one actually has to say, Worf, you're not a perfect parent. You, you see it. I mean, it's, it's being shown to us but that it, it's a struggle. But see, I would say, but it's immediately forgotten about. It's like they resolve it, they have, they figure it out, um, and then like no, they really uh, no. bring it up again. Uh, no, I don't think. No, I don't think that that's true. I think it's. I think it still made, it, it. It continues to be a struggle because one, the end, the episode ends, but it's it's clear that it's just a. T- and again, and maybe this is because I'm I'm saying this as a perspective of a parent where I know that yep, you might have. Everyone gotten has gotten to bed today, but you know you're in for the same <laughs> stuff again tomorrow. So I have right, that kind yeah. of feeling. But then there's the episode later where um, you know where Alexander returns as you know from the future, and again right. showing again. So it, to me, it's it's a constant thing. Every time we see Alexander, we know that there are issues. And then I have a love hate relationship with the episode in next in uh, Deep Space Nine when Alexander is on the Klingon ship. 
Right. Mm. See, I like that because Morcock calls him out and says, Hey, you got to figure this out. Like he's the only character to like, say, Hey, you got to right. do better, which I think, you know, no one has ever said that to him yes. except for maybe, um, uh, Troy's mom. I liked everything about that episode, except for how Alexander's character was written. I feel right. like so they could have done a much better job with them. And, you know, again, I get that they're trying to make him effectively a whiny teenager is really what they're trying to do, but it still could have yeah. been done better. That's why I say I have a love hate relationship with that yeah. episode, because I think that was one of the, the low points, honestly, was again, everything else about that episode was kind of cool. But Alexander as a character and the way he was written to me was like it was, it was I was kind of cringing. So I feel like they should have done uh, maybe Rom's not the best example, but like, don't make him like an idiot, but show that he has an aptitude for something that's not Klingon. Like the fact that they always showed Rom, even though he was goofy, they always show mm. his engineering ability. Mm. Whereas I feel like, because I think at one point, doesn't Alexander hint or something about becoming a diplomat? That I feel was, like that's yeah, yeah. future Alexander basically right. came okay. back and said that's what does. And I think that's part of why I, I didn't like the Deep Space Nine episode where he is, because it didn't seem to somehow be on that path. Like, yeah, it would I have feel been... like if they had kind of brought that path in, it would have made a little bit more sense. Um, yeah, I no, I agree. If they showed like, okay, here's like a hint or some aptitude that we can see, oh, that's where he's going. But the and fact then... that, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say that the fact, and then I thought, you know, someone could call them out, hey, Alexander, it's like, you're not a great warrior, but, you know, you're really good at diplomacy. You might want to think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. but I mean, I, the fact that Worf struggled at, and always struggled as a parent, I think was great. I, 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 okay. Again, I think that was I think that was good just to show these things don't always work out well. Sometimes this is a it never gets better. Yeah, yeah. I, some, think, I some, think sometimes. Sorry, Chris. Sometimes as a um, and Steve, even I think you may have something to say to here um, in this area. But even today, as a parent. I screamed at my daughter this morning who poured her milk. She tried to put milk in her bowl before the cereal. And I walked in and she said, don't come in here. I'm like, well, now I'm coming in. And I got really upset over literally spilled milk. Okay. <laughs> Not a metaphor, but the real thing. Right. To where I had to apologize. Like, you know, the first thing she did when she got off the bus, I'm like, Peyton, I'm, I just blew it. That was so stupid. I was just grumpy and tired and that was just stupid of me to, you know, like, like sometimes, and that's a really easy thing. Sometimes parenting, I mean, honestly, is the hardest thing I've ever done with my life. Marriage is pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Parenting is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, so it's, it's tough, but I, I hear what you're saying, Chris. I think you have some really, uh, you know, your heart behind man, just wishing Worf would do better, be better is is great but i do think too there is that you know what's nice about it from the point of view of a parent is hey i can see myself in morph a little bit not always hopefully not getting it to the point where i've got to ship my kids off to live with well, somebody yeah, that's, else that's that's my kind issue of, yeah but that happens I can see lots him. of people do that you know yeah. <laughs> and i get like you know and i get that maybe raising a kid on the enterprise is probably a stupid thing to do <laughs> Steve, do you have anything? Do you have anything to yeah. pitch in there As before not a we parent, move on? I should say I'm not a parent, so that's this is where all this is coming from, or where it's coming from. Well, you know, um, having two kids who are now adults in their 30s, um, when they were younger, um, you you as a parent, you've got to give them their freedom, but also rein them in. And as you said, Brian. 
as a parent, uh, sometimes you will lose your temper, but you have to control it. And and I guess that that was the you know the storylines that they were producing for the show. You know, the Star Trek's always been a metaphor about real life. So mm-hmm. if they're going to portray these storylines, they're examples of probably what the own the writers and producers of the show were going through themselves at that same time, and they wanted to bring it forward. So. Good point. Yeah. I just wish it was handled differently. I think if like DS9 handled it, they could have, I, I don't know. I just feel right, like maybe right. that storyline wasn't the best for mm-hmm. the way TNG was set up, but that's a whole other rant. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's move on uh, to what is our favorite Trek film? Uh, Adina, what's your, what's your favorite Trek film? This was a much harder question for me because I think there's several that could be contenders for me. Yeah. This is, this and let's just say everything's open, even the Kelvin timeline. Okay. Even so, okay. yeah, th- this is this does get to be harder. I, I do think I have to go with the. It's not one movie, but I I, I always consider Star Trek two, three, and four kind of one gotcha. thing. Yeah. So I, I really think I have to go with that. Um, second to that would be First Contact. Mm, okay. Um, so I, I'm kind of torn, and so I think it matters well. Best. Trek film from the original cast versus best Trek film from of any of the other casts. So cool. Um, and I like the Kelvin timeline movies, but they, to me, don't, still don't. Uh, the original ones are are better for me. Although if you were to ask my husband, he would tell you that the Kelvin stuff is way better because it's more modern, all the modern, mm. you know, it, it's a modern and he likes the modern stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Steve? For me, without a doubt, it's it's first contact, and uh, mainly because we have the fun of going back to the original story of how first contact happened. We get to see and get to learn that heroes often have feet of clay, and that's just hey, how they portray yeah. Zephyrin Cochran. He's not he's not a hero. I love he's that, a schlub yeah. who wants to make money. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we get to see one of the most beautifully designed spaceships, the Phoenix. And we learn all the backstory that they've been wanting to tell. And the writing was excellent. The acting was direct. Excellent. The Mm -hmm. directing is excellent. And, and I thoroughly, I always, always recommend that if you're going to watch the movie, watch it with Jonathan Frank's commentary. It's just like this. It's like sitting in the room with him. He's on the couch with you. You're watching the movie together. And he's just talking about it just like you would do huh. as well. And that's just one of the you know little perks of it. But I just, the, the characters were allowed to be a little free-forming, free-flowing. They were, there was conflict. There was anger. They show a side of Picard that really never was portrayed before as an angry, vicious man who yeah. wants to get revenge no matter what. And uh, you get to see hero worship in the part of Geordi. And, and um, I forget who the other act actor, 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 actor. Yeah, Barkley. Barkley, yeah. 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 who are in awe. And I mean, one of the, to me, one of the best scenes is when they walk up to the, the Phoenix and they touch it. Yeah. And yeah. Data's trying to understand <laughs> what's this tactile thing but for them, it's it's seeing history alive, and to me, that's 
That's why we all, whenever we go to any memorial or something and you just see what it is, it, it, it comes more to life. So everything about the movie is just aces. And I, yeah. I, I can watch it again and again and never tire of it. I think it would have been oh. fantastic if they could have kept that missile silo with the ship, you know, with the missile made up to be the Phoenix in there as some type of <laughs> landmark to for Star Trek fans to visit. That that would have oh. become a mecca oh for goodness. Star Trek would... fans to go see. I mean, I would I would have been there in a heartbeat um, to see that. And and my wife's been in Bozeman, Montana, too, for her work with the Forest Service, and mm -hmm. um, she didn't see anything that said anything <laughs> about the film there. So. Darn it all. We, we're going to have to wait another 40 years for it to actually happen. That's what I keep thinking. It's like, hey, we're getting closer. I hope mm -hmm. it happens. But <laughs> Chris, yeah, how about I, you? Well, I agree. I, I think for so this was really hard because I I had a long, I feel like I had a heart to heart with myself a few years ago where I'm like, what is actually my favorite Star Trek movie? Mm. And it was really, I think it was a toss up between Voyage Home and First Contact. First Contact, very close, but I have to say Voyage Home. Mm -hmm. That to me is just like the perfect comfort movie. It's mm -hmm. like every... And I have to say this about all of all the Star Trek movies, they, all of their sound cues and their music, I find is a very comforting thing. But there was something about Voyage Home that just I gravitated uh, towards. And it's just it's it's the comedy. It's the fish out of water stuff. It's the message about the whales and environmentalism. It has cool time travel. So I think it had like all of my favorite elements. Its soundtrack but, is just fantastic. Yes, the music yeah. is so not Star Trek. It is so beautiful as it stands alone. Absolutely. And I will say, I, I didn't do this because I, you know, I respect the rules of the road and I always want to be safe. But when I was in San Francisco about seven years ago now, I was like really tempted to see, can I get, can I walk on the street and like almost get hit by a taxi cab and have an exchange. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but I'm like, Hey mom, no, like, that would be really cool. Right. Do now. That. No, yeah, I didn't get the soundtrack with that music in your playing in your Walkman <laughs> and like want cross the street. To, and... Yeah. I just, one day I want someone to say, why do you watch where you're going to like, you know, yeah, the rest right, of the line right, and right. Then yeah, yeah. I can <laughs> say the Kirk line one day, maybe I'll get there. Yeah. Well, being perfectly safe. We should we should have a whole episode of lines we wish we could use oh. in real life from Star Trek and or Star Wars. That would be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, I'm certain I have used some. I, I'm, I'm sure I know I have. I just I would have to think way mm -hmm. too deeply about it to have now. Well, my favorite film of the Star Trek franchise. Are you guys ready for this? Yep. Okay. First Contact. Awesome. <laughs> Hands down. First Contact, um, I think First Contact um, is the best Star Trek film. Uh, again, it's it's comfort for me, kind of like Chris. We're, we're using that word a lot today, but um, it's it it it's next gen. It's my sentimental favorite. But I just thought that film was so well done. It was a it's beautiful to watch. The cinematography yeah. is gorgeous. It's extremely well act, acted. Alfre Woodard is fantastic. Yes. Um, uh, scenes with Patrick Stewart in that film are are just highly entertaining and wonderful to watch. Especially when he when she urges him to blow up the bleeping ship. You know. Yeah. Um, and he and he throws the phaser rifle into the glass. No, no. Oh, you I, know, I and that, that great line, that great line of, 
you know, um, you they keep pushing us back. You know, they keep pushing us back, and we oh, keep just... falling back. You know, I just oh, it's just fantastic scenes. I love the effects in that film. That opening mm -hmm. scene of the, where they're fighting the Borg. I was like, this is the next gen I have been waiting for mm -hmm. since Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, and um, I, have to... I, I just, I just, I just, I felt like it was, it was. Everything I dreamed that second film should be. The Borg, uh, they did the Borg really well mm -hmm. in that film. Data, the surprise at the end where he's actually not assimilated or, or given into the Borg Queen. Yeah. You know, like I, I about jumped out of my chair and screamed in the theater when that, I was like, yes, I knew it, you know, because um, they had me convinced almost that Data yeah, was really going to be bad yeah. oh. forever. Um, and I, 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 another part of that film that I love, um, is the music, the, mm -hmm. the Jerry Goldsmith, rest his soul, his, his, that theme, that opening credit theme. And then the first contact theme is, I think one of the most beautiful pieces. I was listening to a podcast. I forget where I heard it from, but they, they were talking about the music in that film being, some of the best, um, very in their opinion, of all the Trek films, but also in movie history, that, that there's mm -hmm. some, some parts of that that are so beautifully moving and ambitious in what, what the story was. Mm -hmm. So First Contact, I, I think also it was, it proved Next Gen deserved to be in the movies, mm -hmm. um, although it's debatable the next couple films that followed, if that yeah. still, still um, was true, but... Um, nevertheless, I have a very special place in my heart for it's, first contact. It's kind of like gen, um, Star Trek Generations was Star Trek the motion picture. Mm. Great. And then followed mm. up by... Better. You yeah, know, by, followed yeah. by first contact is like following up with Wrath of Khan. You're like, whoa, you took it yeah. and you went even bigger and right. better and that's and I, what made it so good yeah i get what you're saying i i, I think generations is pretty great in a, in a lot of ways I, I think it's a much better film than motion picture but mm -hmm. from yes. the point of view of what you're saying about the jump mm -hmm. and how much better first contact was than generations um i'm i'm right with you um yeah. let's go let's okay. go um unless you guys have anything to say to that let's go what about oh. our favorite non-trek sci-fi series and this was hard mm -hmm. i'm gonna go first this time okay um sure. because i i have a feeling that the people i'm looking at here on zoom as we're excuse me talking about this um especially my friend steve is probably way more versed in science fiction than, <laughs> this, than this was a hard outside one. of star trek and star wars um but i have really enjoyed the new Lost in Space series, even though it's only three seasons long, um, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I felt like season two of Lost in Space was some of the best sci-fi I've ever seen on television. Mm -hmm. Gripping, entertaining, character. I mean, you cared about the characters. Um, there were points that had me crying and on the edge of my seat and like, you know, just urging these characters to survive and keep going. Um, so for me, um, there, there's several other th shows too that I'm even watching now that I'm really enjoying, but Lost in Space, I just think was really, really a great three seasons. 
And what a transition from the original series. Right. I still love the original robot. The new one, he's really weird because I've, I've watched it. Yeah, it's a little but bit the different. The original one was like, he was your, your dog. He was your pet dog in the original <laughs> series. Yeah. But I, I understand where you feel. Yeah. Steve, how about you? Let's go. Let's go with you. Wow. Okay. So this was, yeah, I've watched a lot of sci-fi shows growing up from, from the Twilight Zone, originally watching it live to, <laughs> you know, Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea and, oh my, yeah. and all the Irwin Allen series and then going into the Jerry Anderson series of science fiction shows like Thunderbirds and even when I was a kid we watched I watched Supercar the series that I will always go back to that I truly love is The Outer Limits the okay. original series when I was a little kid we used to go to Vasquez Rocks nearly once a month or so go to climbing around and when the episode of the Xanti Misfits appeared and I saw where they landed the spacecraft, which is exactly where mm. I played as a kid, <laughs> I told my parents, we can never, we can't go back there because I knew where the Xanti Misfits, that's how real it was. That's great. And it was so episodic and it was so interesting. And they did the the, the, it wasn't so much like Twilight Zone, which was about irony at the end of every episode, but this was examining human nature. Mm. And there were episodes that just got to you, like iRobot, which examined if a robot committed murder, could it be held as a criminal? And then, of course, the two episodes that stand out by Harlan Ellison, which is Soldier and Demon with the Glass Hand, which was so well done mm -hmm. that James, uh, um, oh, his name's Bob, he stole it for the Terminator oh, to make that Cameron. movie, James Cameron. And at the, it was so close that Harlan Ellison ended up suing James Cameron. And at the, now whenever you watch the movie, there's a line at the very end with acknowledgments of the works of Harlan Ellison. Oh, my. <laughs> but every, there were so many, and it only ran for two seasons. But even the great Stephen King says it's his favorite anthology science fiction film series of all time. So I go back to black and white. Okay. And and you'll if you watch it, you get to see some Star Trek fans in mm, it as well. Right, right. How it's creepy is it? Huh? How how creepy is it? Because I go back to the Twilight Zone sometimes, and I like still get very unnerved. There were it. episodes that were creepy, that were a little weird, but they always went back to what was significant. There was one called The Scarecrow with Robert Culp, where they create a alien out of one of the humans to scare mm. the world into being afraid that we could be attacked from outer space. We should join together. And he finally succumbs to, he succumbs at the end where he truly loves his wife. It, it, I could go on about the series forever. It's just, it makes that much of a difference. It made that much of a difference in my life. And again, it was during those formative years before I was 10, when I really was getting into science fiction. Does anyone else feel like, 
your Luke Skywalker to Steve's Yoda and the amount of knowledge um, right now. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not making an age beard. differential here. Oh, I'm making nice. a, just simply like a beard. knowledge. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, how about you? Uh, I, you know, I have to be honest. I got to go with uh, Stargate. I know people, I, I don't know how divisive it is, but I, for me, it's like the next best thing to watching Star Trek. If I'm in a Star Trek mood, but I don't feel like watching Trek, I go to Stargate. I love Interesting. the fact that it has all my favorite science fiction, has really good aliens, it has a good technobabble, it has sci-fi like uh, plot ideas, like what happens if there's a black hole and it's near Earth and you get weird time shenanigans, as I call them. <laughs> but it also, I love the fact that it takes place in present day. So there's always an episode I reference when I talk about it where O'Neill and the rest of the team, they go to Antarctica and they are discovering for the first time that there are these aliens called the ancients who were the first humans ever who existed billions of years ago and they went to another galaxy. And like, this is like the biggest discovery since the Stargate and they're all freaking out about it. But then O'Neill is like, okay, that's kind of cool. But man, I forgot to go tape the Simpsons because it's on tonight. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, set my VHS to record. And it's like, so it's the perfect balance of weird sci-fi, but then, referencing something that we can relate to whereas mm, I, I always yeah. you know i love track it's my first favorite science fiction show but i find in star trek it can be hard to relate to because we understand what life is like on the enterprise but it's not really until ds9 that you get a clear sense of what is life like outside of starfleet and what does growing up on earth in a home in the 24th century look like so there's mm. that mm. disconnect Whereas when you're watching Stargate, you're like, I get where O'Neill is coming from because I also go home at night and watch TV and maybe watch sports and maybe watch, you know, a stupid comedy on whatever's on. So I like that relatability to it. That's and cool. um, last thing, Atlantis, I feel like it's a very good analog to Voyager where you have a really strong female lead who doesn't back down. She's a lot like Janeway in the sense when she gets intimidated, she doesn't back down and is... Hmm. does a great job of actually seeing diplomacy at work, which you don't always get in track. So it has a lot of great, uh, great features. Cool. Great choice. Great choice. Adina, how about you? Well, so let me first say that um, I, I have been for several years, you know, just overwhelmed uh, at how much there is to watch. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and, and not even science fiction, because there are plenty of things that are outside of science fiction that I, I enjoy. I'm a, I'm a huge, like, Friends fan, and there are a couple other sitcoms I love. So, and other things that are just not science fiction. So, there's just so much to catch up on and watch. And I say that because I had started watching Lost in Space, and I don't know why, but I, I haven't continued. I did enjoy it, but so I don't know why I, I didn't. Uh, and Stargate, I also just, I haven't really watched it. Although just a few weeks ago, I made my husband and older son watch the original movie because now okay, my, cool. Cool. even my, my husband had never Kurt, seen it. Kurt Russell, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing actually how well the movies hold held up. Um, mm. I'm always, oh. you know, even though the movie's like, it's like 25 years old. Uh, I, I get nervous showing my husband because he really like, he, he very much is like, if stuff's dated, he's not interested and he loses interest. So the fact that uh, the special effects, again, I think held up and pretty well. Um, mm. Yeah. But it came up because my son was doing like, they were doing Egyptology stuff in, in school. So I was like, well, you got to, mm -hmm. oh, cool. we got to cool. see this movie. This is a good excuse to watch it. So, so neither Lost in Space nor Stargate, um, nor uh, probably any of the, the older things that predate me <laughs> are on my <laughs> list. Um, 
And I also want to just say that if I'm asked this question any other day, I, I do reserve the right to have a completely different answer. <laughs> Okay. So there's, I guess, I, <laughs> kind of three shows that I think are my top three. And I, I don't know which one I can say is the one, mm. but I feel like at any given time when I was watching them, I'm like, at the moment, this is my favorite. Cool. Um, the first of those three is, is Battlestar Galactica. Well, I'm sorry, four. Sorry. Okay. Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> the redone Battlestar Galactica. Okay. I remember, that, was, that was, yeah, that was just, that was amazing. I was so in love with that when that was on. Mm. It had I a little slump. Like in the second season, I think it was like a little slump. But once you got past that slump, then it was like the best mm. thing ever. Because I didn't watch it. Like I was watching it in its original run. And then I think when it had the slump is when I stopped watching it. And then I came back to it and watched it all on DVD later. I was like, holy cow, mm. this is the best show we're not watching. Um, so mm. I, I would say that's up there. Firefly. Uh, oh, and just Firefly the downside really of Firefly is just how how short it is. Like oh, yeah, they could have done right? so much more if it had gone on um, and it, it didn't. So it's kind of up there, but eh. So then the really, I'm gonna say the top two and I'm gonna save the, the funniest one for last. Um, <laughs> so the one is uh, The Expanse. Okay. Although cool. I have a, one, I'm not up to date on it and I have a love-hate relationship. I've read all the books and I have a love-hate relationship mm. with it. And that's because <laughs> I mentioned I'm also a science fiction author. And just before The Expanse came out, I was really deep into writing a, a novel that also took place on Ceres. And oh, so when really? The Expanse came out and was so amazing, even though what I was writing was different and it was kind of a little bit of a different time period, it completely destroyed my momentum and desire oh, to work on that book. <laughs> so I have a love and because again, because I thought Expanse, especially the reading the first couple of books, is just so amazing. Mm. So mm -hmm. the expanse, and then the other one, uh, and the other thing to know about me is I really appreciate comedy. I do love comedy, and I love when science fiction and comedy come together. And that would be Futurama. Futurama. Ooh, okay. Yes, I need okay. to yes. get yes. into that. It's oh oh. also on the list. <laughs> oh, Futurama, without a doubt, it's is wonderful. Wonderful, and <laughs> my my uh, my youngest daughter became a big fan of it. And when she watched that show, she would watch the DVDs with the commentary on it. Mm -hmm. It is smarter than ever before. It, it, she realized just how intelligent mm -hmm. the writers and the people who were involved in it were. It wasn't just flat out comedy, it was smart comedy. It's, it's amazing, I love it. Mm -hmm. I just, there's, I love everything about it. And I probably quoted it quite a bit, you know, in, in real life, I, I, I might quote a handful of things. And recently I, I had played the theme song for my kids and my three-year-old loves it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. And without a doubt, Zap Brannigan is probably one of the funniest characters ever to exist on cartoon or real action. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yeah. hilarious. And uh, yeah, I thank you for that. That was really special. <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like with between that, all of us we have created a little bit of a homework and and listen you know reading yes reading, totally, watching totally. List for us and then for people who are listening i mean there's a mm -hmm. lot to catch up a lot of good stuff out there yeah Absolutely. well i just totally. need to figure out where i can watch Battlestar because that's where i'm like i don't know where to find that or where to i start have with. the dv i don't know but I, I, yeah. I do have that's one of the dvds i still own yeah you have mm. to order the dvds then Get the Just DVDs. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it. It's yeah. I'll, I'll say it like I said, little slump. I think it was season two. Other than that, it's so it was so worth it. 
I and and I have to admit before we move on to the next category um to wrap up this episode uh I haven't watched a single hour of Stargate even though I love MacGyver. I think the I was a issue... huge MacGyver fan and that's outside of our genre here but um, shout out, was it Michael Dean Anderson was that, that actor's mm-hmm. name? Uh, yeah, Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean yeah. Anderson. I knew it was a Dean Anderson. Yeah. Um, I loved him, but for, I just, I was, I, I think I saw Stargate as a competitor to Star Trek. Um, and so in my younger days, I was fiercely loyal to Star Trek. But they also um, are, are Trekkies in the show because really there's like a whole episode where uh they like this doesn't get into too many spoilers where they i think it's the odyssey where they actually build like the first basically the military builds like their first spaceship and they're like trying to come up with the name and the character's like and o'neill you can't call it the enterprise and so they they actually are fans of the franchise so I, I, i i do love it in other movies and shows yeah when they do talk a little bit track that's always fun to pick mm-hmm. that out and then also to pick out actors in other shows other films too that have been in star trek i i annoy my wife to no end when we're in the movie theater i go hey they were in so and so an episode and yeah. or this star trek film mm-hmm. and she's like i don't mm-hmm. care let me do watch this thing. film this is not a star mm-hmm. trek film um and and to kind of wrap this up i'm i'm interested uh, now that we've gone through our, our Trek series, our Trek film, our non-Trek series, um, what is your favorite uh, sci- non-Trek sci-fi film? We'll start with Adina. This is also a really hard one, and I also am going to say, if you ask me this another day, I might give you a completely different <laughs> answer. That's totally cool. That's totally cool. Uh, but I'm, you know, again, as a, a fan of robots and all things robots, I think there, there are two movies that I'm going to put there although I, I, you know i feel like i'm gonna feel really bad because there'll be like a movie that you know someone's gonna listen to this who knows me and it's gonna be like adina mm-hmm. you didn't say blah 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 and i'm like oh yeah but um the two that i'm thinking of are irobot okay cool and bicentennial man right. and they might both spring out of the fact that isaac asimov is still one of my my he's probably always gonna be my favorite science fiction author mm-hmm. and the fact that those two movies sprung out of you know his you know right robot writings um I, I love both of them they're very very different you know but out of the same brain out of this not the same universe but kind of out of his same thoughts mm-hmm. on, right, on, right. on robots which is he wrote so many short stories and books that use the same kind of core tenets of robotics and and so yeah. Uh, yeah i love both of those movies very much what, that's cool what, and it, sorry sorry chris since since we're here adina um mm-hmm. Why don't you? Why don't you? Um, let's go ahead and tell our listeners. Uh, we're going to put a link to buy her book in oh, our nice. um, podcast notes here. <laughs> um, uh, this is a plug because Adina loves robots so much. She wrote a novel, um, and I need to buy that too and read it. Um, although I may ask you for a signed copy, though. We can um, do that. So um, anyway, yeah, so crazy r- foolish r- robots. On Amazon, and it's not just well, it's one book right now, but it's the first in, in a planned series of four. Oh, wow, um, number wow. two is uh, I'm working on it with you know, passing it back and forth between me and my editor as we speak. So, number two will be is imminent, <laughs> and three is Very a cool. draft, three is a solid draft, and then four is still a, a nugget. Like, I, I know what's happening, I know what's going to happen, I just don't have to write it, but cool, yeah, cool. crazy foolish yeah. robots. 
Let's remind me. We'll put that. We'll put a link in our notes so that people um, can have an opportunity to look at that and check it out and buy it. Chris, mm -hmm. how about you, my friend? What's your favorite um, sci-fi not non-Trek sci-fi film? Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this because this is this was a hard one. I'm going to assume that Ghostbusters is not considered sci-fi and that's a horror mm -hmm. movie. So eliminating Ghostbusters from the from that, even though I think <laughs> it could be considered sci-fi, I. I I hate to say this, but I'm going to go with Independence Day because that's like a like for me, it's a feel good. Like it's it's funny that it's about the world ending and being destroyed by aliens, but it does has such a good feel good element to it. And it has a lot of my favorite things in movies, like one of my favorite things. And I'll always like this in any movie, regardless of how good the movie is of just American military generals looking at screens and saying, <laughs> my God, what is this? Like what's happening? And them looking and reacting to things. I love that element. I like the slow buildup of the aliens are here. What is this? Is this really a big deal? Then it's like, okay, now this is a problem. I love the, the relationship element and the fact that you have uh, Will Smith, his character, and he, you know, is really close with his, I guess, with his stepson, even though they're not married at the time. And he's really close. He has a good relationship with his, his girlfriend. I like the fact that Jeff Goldblum and his ex-wife reconcile at the end. I like the fact mm. that Jeff Goldblum has a good relationship with his father. And <laughs> it just all connects. And everybody in the film seems to play a really critical part in the, like, in actually saving the day. So every character contributes mm. And in Brent's, a major way, which Brent you don't Spiner's always, in it. Pardon? Yeah, and Brent Spiner's Spiner. in it, which I love. <laughs> but I also love the fact that it's it's Data from Star Trek who right. doesn't do anything useful in the movie. I mean, he's just a bumbling scientist. And you're like, what? What is your Release job here? Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for me, I know it's it's not. I think it's another one that I I get the sense is divisive, but for me, it's just a fun summer oh, like blockbuster. Fun, yeah, it's a. There's so many great scenes in that film. Just one-limers, one-limers. What is a one-limer? I have no idea. One-liner. <laughs> um, you know, are you not entertained? You know, uh, stealing from Gladiator and uh, just there's there's all you know um, all sorts of great. That's that's I hadn't thought of Independence Day. I haven't seen that film in so long. I love I that you. film though. It's so your the president's speech. It's you know it's just ah oh, I I've seen that played in sports arenas as a team is see, coming from behind trying to win a game they play that and everybody gets hyped up and see that's the thing I love it's funny because like as a non-American I love how American the movie is and I love the fact that it's <laughs> like in like Independence Day will become Independence Day for the whole world it's like right, only right. the U S could figure it out it's like I would love to have been like hey was you know Canada there like did <laughs> right you know? right yep, I know they yep. mentioned. Uh, I think they mentioned the UK at some point, but it's uh, like, I do find it funny how pro, like, I understand that it's an American movie, but I do right, find it right. interesting. It's like, okay, this is so like, <laughs> only the US can save the day, which I get because it's an American movie, but I do enjoy that element. It's, and uh, I, it's, but the uh, one thing is, I will say, as a Canadian, I just want one day, I want to see a science fiction movie where one of our landmarks get destroyed. Like if we can get the CN Tower destroyed on screen, I would be just <laughs> thrilled. Nice. About that. Nice. Write your local. What do you guys have? You don't have congressmen, have... do you? No. No, we have <laughs> we have MPs, members of parliament. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, we have we have a huge film industry, but a lot of times yeah, it's yeah. it's Toronto pretending to be New York. Right, we don't get right. a lot of Cleveland gets a lot. Cleveland gets a lot of film. A lot. A lot of the Marvel films have scenes, f street scenes where they're fighting and causing great chaos, filmed in Cleveland uh, here in Ohio, which is interesting. Oh, cool. So I'm sure Toronto is kind of the same way. They've got some enough big buildings that they can make it look like it's a film a little cheaper, like it's New York or whatever. But Steve, you know. This was one that I really pondered, having seen so many science fiction movies going back. As I said, mentioned in the beginning, seeing the Commando Cody series when I was a little kid and movie them with the giant uh, ants and which <laughs> Godzilla movies. Hmm. I remember sitting in a theater watching all of the original uh, Plan of the Eight movies, one right after the other in the theater. And um, just pondering all those thoughts, I thought, Chris, why did you steal my thunder? Because, yes, it is Independence <laughs> okay. Day, without cool. a doubt. I'm the, not, I'm that's the only hilarious. One. fiction film of all time. <laughs> and the you. reason why it. is because I can watch it every year. And I can, right, every, right. we used to do it every 4th of July, we would watch Independence Day. But more so, I took my youngest, uh, oldest daughter at the time, Steph, who at, at that point was, uh, she was uh, nine years old. And we went to go see it on July 4th at 930 in the morning on Independence Day. And just absolutely walked out of the theater going, this had everything. It was a love story. It was a comedy. It yeah. was uh, it was the world coming to an end. It was watching the War of the Worlds, the original War of the Worlds, but done in a different way. And the monsters were the aliens were scary and frightening. Um, and the heroes were just above it all. And you know, you got to get out your cigar and have it when the yeah. fat lady sings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not knowing how to fly the spaceship. Oh, the left. Oh, oh no, we got to get used to our communication. <laughs> and there are so many, as you said, countless lines from that film that just stand out. Um, it, it's just, it's one of the movies you can, I, and it's actually, if you say to me, what's your top five films of all time? This is all genres. Independence Day is in the All top right. five right there without How about cool. that. How so, about that? Chris, you and I have a real kinship there, and I, I... I really appreciate that. Whereas uh, my fellow friend over here, Brian and I, which the audience doesn't know, we're at the same yes. Indianapolis 500 in 1992. That's pretty Without cool. even knowing it, that in we the were same probably section, too. We're, we had to be, we could have thrown a baseball same... to each other. So, somehow. Yeah. Adina, wow. we have to figure out where our connection is now <laughs> between there. you and me. But I will say one thing. Mm -hmm. um, if you do have Prime Ticket and you do have mm -hmm. uh, Paramount Plus, they do run the old Outer Limits on it. And may okay. I truly recommend you watch the episode I Robot. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure I've probably in my life seen it, but I don't it, think I've seen it. It has Leonard Nimoy in it. And it's actually a take on the film 
the uh, inherit the wind. Okay. Where and that's it from is the really, outer limits. That's the outer limits okay. and iRobot, and it is truly it is it examines if a robot could be com could be found uh, having committed murder, can it be tried as a human being? And I don't tell you the ending because the ending will bring tears to your face, but it is absolutely wonderful. So, and, and you're right, Adina, science robots are one of my favorite characters in all of science fiction because they get to expound on humanity. Mm -hmm. And that was the beauty of data. Mm -hmm. data. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. In the very first episodes, they said, oh, you're Pinocchio. They let it up from the very beginning that this was the boy, that the robot that wanted to become a human. And by allowing you to look at that storyline, it, it, it just gives that series so much, you know, gives it so much character development. And yeah, so my connection to you, Adina, is a true okay. love of robots. Awesome. Yeah. I, I will, yeah. I, between I to... now and next time, I will, I will watch that. And, I will try I to. Say, and and if you've if you've read Bicentennial Man mm -hmm. or iRobot, Bicentennial Man, that if you don't aren't crying at the end of that that story, mm -hmm. uh, you have no humanity. Well, it is, I'm partly robot myself, probably. I need to go back to that because I <laughs> I remember like the things that you're not supposed to remember about the movie, like things that don't matter, like the bacon. Like I remember Robin Williams eating bacon and being not impressed because it was crispy, but I don't remember much about the movie. Oh, the, the, yeah, it's definitely book, one to watch. And the book is where he starts off as just a, a little nursemaid to a girl. Mm. And as you watch him becoming one, becoming more and more mm -hmm. human to the point, it, it, it the, the book just, I re read it to my daughter and I, I'm literally having tears in my eyes. Mm. over how mm. wonderful that book is and how long that story is just it's fantastic bicentennial man well, is I, just I, great but that's who Asimov was one of my favorite things about this episode is i think that we've given fans of sci-fi that will choose to listen to this a lot of things to maybe go see for the first time or maybe go <laughs> see a second time fall back in love with it um, it could be any of the Trek stuff, any of the other stuff we, we've mentioned, non-Trek. Um, so that's, that's really cool to me. My favorite, uh, I've got two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to channel my inner Adina for a second. I'm not going to just pick one. Um, although the, it's, uh, something inside of me raged against picking more than one. Uh, for some reason, it's just weird how I am. But um, I went ahead and did it anyway. So Adina, thank you for freeing me to be able to do this. Um, <laughs> I, I, my, I have a sentimental favorite and an actual favorite. My sentimental favorite non-Trek film is, I'm going to kind of take, this isn't super deep, guys, okay? But um, the second greatest sequel film of all time, next to The Wrath of Khan, is Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Yes, it's oh, so good. Yes. So that to me, um, the first time I saw that film um, as as a teenager, I think I, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I actually got introduced to the original Star Wars films, um, way before still Clone Wars and the prequels, uh, you know, Phantom Menace, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, 
but Empire Strikes Back, I just I just think is a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it it definitely takes the story and the characters to the next level. I think there's great drama with the uh, I am your father, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and uh in uh you've got to watch the dec- documentary The World versus George Lucas. Um, it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but it talks a lot about those films and then, then the prequels and um, what fans thought of all that stuff. But Empire Strikes Back to me is one of the greatest second films of all time. Um, and, I think so. Uh, yeah. But my actual favorite is, again, a Star Wars film, but it's Rogue One. And, and, uh, oh, and cool. let me tell you okay. something. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Here is why it's my favorite. It's very simple. Because everyone dies. Yes. yes. Because listen, okay? I love I love Star Trek one, deeply, okay? I love that most of the time our heroes live on to fight another day. Um I love that occasionally they don't though, you know. I mean, we were shocked at Wrath of Khan when Spock was killed. Like what are they going to do? Um there's some other characters throughout the series, you know, um Dax in Deep Space 9, Terry Farrell's yeah, character. That was really brutal. Um uh, there's other instances where even secondary characters are killed off and it's emotional and it's tough and but I love that in this film, first of all, there's some really great humor in the film to kind of lighten it a little bit here and there. I think it's a beautifully shot film. I love the new characters they introduce that are going to go to the Death Star and and steal these things or, you know, whatever. And I love, um, I mean, I just love that they all die because let's be honest and real, a lot of our heroes in real life um, end up, having to sacrifice their lives for what they believe in or for whatever their cause is. So I remember sitting in the theater um, watching this and realizing they're going to kill everybody. Everybody's going to die. And tears filling my eyes going, for the first time, Star Wars really went there all the way um, to where, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, we see Obi-Wan die in in but it really that really wasn't emotional but uh for me at least we see you know luke's or or anakin die in a sense to become darth vader um in may you know maybe there's some others but for me this was just i just was like this is this is very much like real life but also very artfully and tastefully done like like it was beautiful their sacrifices and they showed them the weight of it, but they showed their willingness because what they believed they were fighting against, the tyranny of the Empire was strong enough that uh, it was worth laying down their lives for. So that's Rogue One. So that's my... I- the last five, ten minutes of that movie was sublime. Yes. Just how they, they did that. And for, yeah. of course, those of us who are intimately familiar with episode four, just that, mm-hmm. that how they really did that and showed what happened right before episode four start. That was just, yeah, that, that was perfect. That was perfect. That blew me away. And, and like, mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, I was going to say for me, it was just like the fact that they, like my favorite thing about the movie is like they, they address the plot hole. It's like, well, why is that? Why was there the big thing that you could fire the torpedoes in, or the mm-hmm. um, not the torpedoes? I can't remember what they were called. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. But, no, what you're just saying, exactly. 
Yeah. And it's like, no, there was a reason. So the the guy, I can't remember his name, built that in because he knew that was like maybe the one mm-hmm. chance that the rebels could have, which was so, really, I loved me. that. I loved his character in the film and, and his daughter's connection to him. Beautiful. Brian, I got to tell you, I I've seen all the star Wars movies and you, when you put them in order of what I think is the best starts out with rogue one and then it goes to solo. Hmm. And that's really weird. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, but, my wife is not a huge Star Wars fan, but she loved Solo. So we watched was that, there. and she said, "I really like that." And, See, and here's the tie into Star Trek. Enterprise was a prequel. The those two movies are prequels, and they get to take the knowledge that they know from the other movies, and they pile it into those two films. And they give you all the backstory that you need. And the one thing you just said about the end of the movie, the fact that everyone dies, great films like On the Beach, and uh, where everyone dies. It, it's sad. It's terrible. The world comes to an end. Dr. Strangelove, the bombs go off. Mm. We're all dead. It's tragic, but it happens. And that's what made that movie, that self-sacrifice was the underlining storyline in that, that everyone did whatever they could to complete the mission. Yeah. And that is what makes that movie to me, a standalone. So, and it's yes. all based on one simple line from New Hope. Some, yep. some yep. rebels gave up their lives mm-hmm. for this information. Right now, I have to say, I, I am so slightly disappointed in your response to this because I was since after I said iRobot and these guys said Independence Day, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, say another Will Smith movie that would just be so funny if it was like another <laughs> Will Black? Smith movie, right? right Men in yeah. Black, or I'm so or, I didn't mention Men in Black, or was Will uh, Smith Brian in the I- was Will Smith in an iRobot? He was an iRobot, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. That's what I'm saying. It would have been really funny line. if you had picked another. That like, would have, you know, if I'd have been, if I'd have been thinking about it that way after <laughs> talking that oh, would have been hilarious the, the other other tie-in is because we mentioned that how brent spiner was even though it was like a very very minor role he was in independence day uh cromwell was in irobot as well oh really was he? yeah okay yeah so if you had also picked another movie that had like another star trek tie-in that would also be kind of funny but i don't think there, there i don't think bruce, there is any from star trek from star there was bruce greenwood who was also in in irobot uh Right, because wasn't like because I remember like the, my, the line I yes, the line yes, that I yes, want to yes, incorporate yes. one day. Adina's looking is it up the, right now. I can see yes. <laughs> the line I want to incorporate in real life is or from iRobot is that I'm sorry, I'm allergic to BS or something where he sneezes and it's like what what's wrong and then he has a great line. But yeah, I was I really annoyed I didn't mention Men in Black because I was thinking about that this morning, and Empire again. That's another one where I was like I didn't want to mention it because I. I don't know that it's science fiction. Just deeper than me. Or you take, no, a movie like, you take a movie like Alien, which is unbelievably great science fiction. And then you go to Aliens and you go, my God, it's even better. <laughs> and so I have, if you watch the, the director's cut, which is mm-hmm. even greater than the release of Aliens. But there, I yeah, I've heard that. And, and that's why I said, I said, that's why I caveated with like, if you ask me a different day, it might just be what I'm thinking of because I'm sure like, like there are a dozen movies. I'm like, oh, I just didn't even think of it. Like I didn't I, think of ter- like Terminator or Contact yeah. or there are bazillion oh, movies contact, that are great. Yeah. Yep, so, Interstellar, 
Interstellar. Oh, Interstellar is, great. is amazing. I, I think I think the new Dune is fantastic. We could we I mean we've got yeah. these are some films we'll probably go off on um mm-hmm. in in other episodes. Um guys, this has been fun. We yep. we we probably need to cut ourselves off. We're having too much fun. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you guys at home listening to this or at work or driving in your car or doing yard work, whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. Um I oftentimes do dishes. I, I Oh clean, yeah. I'm cleaning the kitchen up when I listen to podcasts. Me too. Um and sometimes I'm listening to Chris Fox yelling about Star Trek while I'm cleaning the dishes. So check out his podcast. Um Steve uh, writes articles for War Factor Trek 2 um, and has some wonderful stuff out on that website. So check that out. Thank you. And um, don't forget Adina's book. What's it called again, Adina? Crazy Foolish Robots. Crazy I love that Foolish name. Robots. I know. It's yeah. a great yeah. name for a book. It is a really cool name. Um, uh, and uh, that should be on one of your New Year's resolutions to check out Steve's articles, check out Crazy Foolish Robots, and Chris's podcast, Yelling About Star Trek. Um, we're going to do this again real soon. We hope you'll join us for our second episode. Um, and uh, you never know what we're going to talk about week to week and uh, how we're going to disagree with each other and happily agree with each other like we did about Independence Day and Rogue One and uh, in First Contact too, right? Uh, we all had good things to say about that. But uh, we just want to have fun talking about sci-fi. We hope you've had fun listening to a bunch of Star, uh, Star Trek and sci-fi fans talking about what we love. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful week.